everybody, what's going on? It's Ryan Russillo for today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, which is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together their very own roster, you need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. College football rankings came out. Last night, and we'll run through those a little bit later in today's podcast. The headliner of this is we got a man ripped Yellowstone, aka Cole Hauser. Pretty excited. It was not the Instagram DM. That is not what connected us. We actually had a booking agent. He was promoting uh, a new movie that's coming out about wrestling. And you know me, I may not have a wrestling background, but I'm a sucker for movies about wrestling. So uh, I don't know if you heard my work on the Vision Quest rewatchable, but uh, excited, excited. We're going to talk a lot of Yellowstone. All right. So it was understood ahead of time. Yep. Promo everything up. But I want to talk about Yellowstone. I want to talk Costner. I want to talk about, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. So there you go. Do you watch Yellowstone, Kyle? I still haven't. I, I, I don't right. think I have access to it. Locked in. No, that's fair. That's fair. I think I found the channel a year or so after I just went ahead and bought all the episodes because I was... Like still at that point, flying style around bought all the episodes. Yeah, I just did it. I just did it. <laughs> I wanted to be supportive. I wanted to be That's supportive nice. of Taylor Sheridan. You know, Taylor Sheridan created it. The things haven't really worked out for him. I'm kidding. He's uh, he's been on fire now for years. So I just said, hey, I'm I'm gonna do this because everybody that I people that I trust were like, hey, we're, this the show is that good. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. And it is. It is that good. So that's what we're going to do. And before we do any of that, though, I, I kind of want to start with some NBA storylines. I can't believe camps are open. Um, and also the machine gun barrage of bullshit from NBA Media Day, which is just the way it goes. It's it just it is that. All right. New coach comes in. That means the team probably was pretty disappointing or terrible. And that's why there's a new coach there in the first place. So all the players that haven't actually done as well as we had hoped they would, if you're young, there's still hope. Okay. And it's just kind of funny to listen to some of the coaches be like, Hey, we think this guy's awesome. We don't want to limit anything he can do. And you're like, I don't know. He hasn't been really good for like three years. Um, then the other one is John Wall. will just, he'll be the headliner of all like Scott Brooks going John Wall. You should see this guy right now work out. I'd imagine even post Achilles, John Wall's pretty athletic and amazing to watch. But you know, none of these injuries. Every time somebody is hurt, like he's actually going to be better. And a lot of times they aren't. 
weird, weird how that works out. And then uh, we like our draft picks, which is always my favorite. It's like, do you? You you picked him. So at some point, I imagine you did like him. But it's just standard operating procedures. So to get you can't get upset about it. But when I see people tweeting stuff over and over and over again about, well, this is what was said here. And it's part of it. You cover a team and then you're getting that message out and all this stuff. And, you know, what are you supposed to do as a coach or GM? Go, you know what? Now that we've seen this pick in person, may have screwed this one up. But, you know, the mid-20s, that's kind of tough. So while you were off-seasoning, that's where we start with some of the NBA storylines. There's just a handful. I could do 10 of these, but I don't want to ramble forever, which is usually the case on the pod at times, depending on the guest lineup. So the first thing is the Giannis Max that supposedly is still getting done with Milwaukee. But I cannot express this enough. We're now two weeks removed from when the Drew Holiday trade started at all, right? That started at all. Then the fake Bogdanovich acquisition where I got a text from somebody going, hey, you know, they kind of can't do this. Our cap guys like, no, no, the way this restricted thing works, the way they did it and executed this isn't going to work. I'll be honest with you all. It was a great piece of information. And it wasn't like I was going to go ahead and tweet it out because I, there's no way I would have known unless I knew the cap rule specifically. It was a little over my head. And I was like, wait, what? And then he was explaining it to me. I'm like, OK, that makes sense. But how did how did we get here? And then guess what? We got here by Bogdanovich being on the Hawks. So the bigger part of this whole thing, though, let's pivot back to Giannis. And that is that as that deal happened, everyone, everyone is exaggeration, but the majority of people that I talked to in the league, on the league side of things, are like, yeah, you know what? People kind of think a couple of agents were like, yeah, this really is probably going to, you know, seal up Giannis here. And that's why they're going to do this extension And remember, I had talked a little bit about why can't you be more on the same page? If you actually want to stay at a place, why can't you be more on the same page so that they're not operating in a position of fear? And I still think, you know, unprotected picks in 2027 for one year, Drew Holiday is insane. Uh, There had have been some different middle ground, but apparently not. If there was competition for Drew, we will never know the full scope of some of these trades. So that's something you always have to remind yourself of. But here's the point is now we're two plus weeks from that and Giannis still hasn't signed this max that people were saying, hey, he's going to do it by Friday. Like it's pretty much understood by Friday, Giannis will go ahead and sign that Supermax. So he hasn't. Uh, and that that can mean a few different things. I know Brian Windhorst had a really interesting note on Anthony Davis, you know, lining his deal up with Giannis and trying to figure out what that decision would be, which, you know, look, that's kind of what the league is now. It would make a little bit of sense. I still think that Davis is so impressionable that he's probably operating more aligned with clutch than he would be with another player. Um, the other part of this is is teams that are waiting on Giannis, specifically the Miami Heat. You know, these rookie max extensions are probably one of the most wasted uh, topics as far as how how many wasted hours we spend talking about these topics. Where it's very clear the rookie is going to go ahead and get the max because they're worthy of it. And the way the extensions work for rookie draft picks, like those guys just don't leave. So. We were like, hey, is this guy going to get the max? How come Tatum hasn't signed the max? Does Tatum maybe not want to be? Oh, Tatum signed the max? Okay. What's going on with Bam? How come they haven't done this? Oh, it's because they want Giannis and they've talked to Bam and everybody's on the same page so Miami can have a ton of cap space. Oh, no. Bam signed the max. And Bam's max, and these numbers are all over the place because we don't really know what the cap is going to be. There's projections for a slight bump versus the original projections. We're at 109 or so million which is supposed to go up, but it really would have gone down, so they kept it flat. It was supposed to maybe be $125 million for next year. That's not going to happen. 
But if we're operating with the idea that there's still a slight bump and the cap is north of 109, say 112, 115 million dollars, and I'm not going to try to bore you to death with all of this stuff. Now that Bam has signed that extension, that changes Miami's next offseason in a big way where it, it would have been great if the agent and the player and the team all could have been on the same page and say, hey, can we use your cap hold instead of the first year of a new extension so we have more cap space? And apparently they couldn't do that. So the cap cost, the cap space cost on this new deal for the Miami Heat is going to be like between, I don't know, 12 and $20 million. So basically what we're looking at is if it's Butler and it's Bam and it's Ryan Anderson's dead money, you may have to get really creative and move off of some of these younger pieces if you're a Heat fan that you really like to go after Giannis. And even then it is threading a needle to go ahead and do this. So that either tells you, you know what that probably tells us if we talk about it out loud here is that the Miami Heat have a pretty good indication that they're not going to get him. Um, and and maybe this Giannis stuff by the, you know, who knows, maybe in a couple of days it's decided that he was going to be signed up and it's fine and there are no problems. But the fact that two weeks ago, over two weeks ago, everybody's like, yep, yeah, by Friday, five-year extension, Giannis, no problem, done and done. And you're like, okay, what's happening? It hasn't happened. Okay, I want to talk about my favorite um, – I think it's my favorite outside of Boston NBA topic, and that is Danny Ainge. He's getting dragged outside for years and inside. Now, look, I know that whenever I have a concern about the mid-level or some sort of traded player exception rule, the first place I stop is Felger and Maz. So I'm not remotely influenced by anybody in Boston Sports Talk Radio when it comes to the NBA stuff because... I just know I run circles around most of the hosts there. So let's examine Ainge here from a position of trying to be fair and not sell four hours on a slow Tuesday. A couple of years ago, the, the big thing with the Celtics is, hey, he drafts well. He does well with the trades. My biggest thing for Ainge is that he's patient. He's never a GM that's going to do something stupid because just some things haven't worked out for him in a while. So it's like, all right, now I'm going to do something stupid here. Now I'm going to overpay for somebody. He's really good about, I, I really think, about not overpaying somebody. Now, can you come back at me with a couple contracts here or there that didn't work out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, if the rule is I have to present a clean slate of 17 years of having the job, then and I'll just go ahead and uh, concede right now because I can't do that with any GM. I could go around the entire league and probably do a five-minute segment on any GM in the league and make them sound like they're terrible at their job. And I think that's just kind of the unfair thing about our business if you're trying to sell some sort of point. So my point would be that for years when the Celtics couldn't get free agents, they actually got a free agent now, Horford, and that was a big deal. Then they added Gordon Hayward. Then they ended up with Kemba last year. So it was a group, it was a team that they did a bunch of things right, but they couldn't add anybody in free agency. And in consecutive years, Horford, Gordon, and Kemba, in the middle of that, when they brought in Gordon, they traded for Kyrie Irving as well. Now, I have defended Ainge from the drafting part of this, but I've pulled back on that because even though whenever anybody's stockpiled his entire draft resume, you average it out. Like the picks are pretty late in the first round. I've done this exercise before. Maybe it's changed since, but it was averaging between like the 19th and 21st selection for all these picks he was getting beat up on for not delivering. The point would be this. You can't keep sitting there and trading for draft picks and then not being able to bundle those draft picks for other things. And I'll get to some of that a little bit later because people just weren't that interested. Like all these teams that think they're going to take all of these future first and go, hey, here's 16 and 21 and 28 and a top 14 protected next year and give us your best player. 
It doesn't work that way. If it were the NFL, it would be awesome to have all these draft picks. But in the NBA, you know, outside of the lottery and stockpiling all this stuff, like, hell, if you want to move 10 and 14 to go to seven, that's not even that doable all the time. Yes, there are exceptions, but it's not automatic that you're able to say, oh, wow, I can get these two first and get rid of this guy. No, it's just it really doesn't work out all that often that way. So Ainge needs to be better at that part of it. He just does. He he's, he's it'd be nice to have like one or two long-term rotation guys. I'm not even talking about an all-star, the Draymond Green type in the second round or somebody really late, Pascal Siakam, late in the 20s. I mean, I'm not even asking for Ainge to do that. I'm asking for him to consistently add contributors, and he hasn't been able to, and I don't know if he did again this year. I mean, I love the Aaron Nesmith landscaping story as a guy who works outside for his dad. Shout out to the outside kids. But, you know, the Peyton Pritchard pick out of Oregon, I'll tell you, a lot of people around the league were like, what? And then one team called me. They said, we had heard about a promise to Pritchard, and then we all looked at each other and started laughing, being like, there's no way anybody promised Peyton Pritchard in the first round. Maybe Angel will be right about this one. But he needs to do a better job there, so I'll accept it. But I'd rather have the guy that's smarter than everybody else in taking Tatum and adding an extra pick that ended up not being as good, but he didn't know that at the time, when everyone in the league was going to take Fultz. Now, do I know 30 for 30 teams would have taken Fultz? No, I don't know that it's 30 for 30, but I didn't talk to a team that had Tatum higher than Fultz because I just remember a win for your rye guy here. I was like, I just think I like Tatum better. And I have the tweet receipts to back it up before you get all pissed off about it. I just didn't understand why. I was like, why is Fultz just the consensus better than Tatum? I don't get it. And then when that happened, I was like, wow, I'm, I see the same thing that Ainge thinks. So I think we should all be on the same page there that that's not a win for him. That's a loss. He needs to be better in those parts. But Here's the biggest message that I I think I need to share with you here is that you can't then now change the whole part of it where they didn't get free agents to now you're mad that he's losing free agents. Now, I would say the Celtics would probably do a better job of being more aware about some of their own guys' efforts and wanting to get out. Kyrie just was never staying. But if you want to use the Kyrie thing against Danny Ainge, go ahead. Trying to figure out Kyrie in general is probably a waste of time. But Al Horford, who left and they wanted to keep him ended up with a massive deal from Philadelphia that went to the point where Ainge goes, look, I'm just not going to do this. Other GMs would have done whatever Horford wanted. Philadelphia was desperate. They had the two young guys. They had the cap space. They were never going to be able to add big cap numbers again as the extensions kicked in for other players. So they're like, look, we're just going to throw all this money at Horford now to try to ease the burden with Embiid. And it actually turned out to be like the worst basketball fit ever for Embiid, as we know he's out of there. But it went from Horford going, oh, this is a nice player who's always tough to kind of defend and was declining to this is one of the worst five contracts in the NBA. The Gordon Hayward deal. It just didn't work out. Everybody would have signed him to a max deal when he picked Boston over everybody else. And it was it was the right signing at the time. And then Hayward wanted out. I told you guys that weeks and weeks ago that he wanted out, didn't guarantee he was going to be able to leave, but he figured out a place. Charlotte offered him $120 million, which is the single worst deal of the entire offseason. So if we agree, as most sane people would, that Horford and Hayward are now two terrible contracts where the Sixers had to kick in a lightly protected future first and the 34th pick this year and Vasily Micic, uh, who people do kind of sneaky like, in a deal to get off of Horford's money, if we agree that Horford and Gordon Hayward are terrible contracts, which we all do, you can't then have it both ways and complain about Ainge losing them. If you're admitting the deal is terrible, then you're admitting you wanted him to sign a terrible deal 
That doesn't make any sense. And it isn't fair. But what happens is, is once you start going down a road of this is my position and now I'm going to use every piece of ammunition I can and I'm going to change everything so that it fits my argument, which is really what this whole fucking job is. Um, it, you're just being unfair to that point. I mean, look, even the Kyrie trade, they gave up Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, who wasn't even that good when he went there. He's resurged a bit here. Ante Zizic in the eighth pick and Colin Sexton. That was for two years of Kyrie Irving. But Kyrie didn't want to be in Boston and wasn't going to figure out. And, and even Ainge at the time was hoping to add Anthony Davis to that piece. But Clutch is never going to do Boston any favors whatsoever. So they're like, look, don't. Don't trade for Anthony Davis, man, because he's not signing. He's not signing in Boston. We're going to put him with this other guy, LeBron, in Los Angeles. So, yes, Ainge could be better at the drafting part of it. I'm with you. But to just pile it all together and act as if this guy doesn't deserve his job, his vision, his patience, his his long-term approach to this, and the way he works people over in trades, which is what he's known for, um, there's more positive than negative there. And I, I think that's the most fair way to look at it. Last little tidbit here while you were off-seasoning. Some of the media coverage of different signings and the all-timer now is Nick Batum. Nick Batum was so bad, Charlotte didn't even want him out there. When D Batum did that deal, this is a great piece of information. I had another front office go, this guy is going to check out like you've never seen now that he got paid. Like this is his profile. Now, maybe that means because he had to come back and not make any money after the stretch position. He's going he's gonna to play hard, but... Um, you know, people got his length, his versatility. Dude, he hasn't been that guy in years. But you can tell what happens. The agent gives the reporter the info on some of these deals. Like, I can't wait for Moutier to get signed. And whoever reports that's going to be like, really athletic combo end to end. You know, if he ever figures it out, you know, we're on year seven. But oof, look out for Moutier if he ever gets a ball in his hands. So there's been a lot of that stuff. Oh, you know what else is like a small little thing? I'm not sure I love the Steven Adams-Zion-Williamson pairing. I actually think I don't like it, but I need to see it a little bit more. Uh, and I like Steven Adams, and obviously I like Zion, but uh, putting a non-shooting big running around with Zion, maybe they're doing it to protect Zion, and they don't want to have him play as the big in a smaller lineup. I mean, look, I'm open to anything and any kind of discussion with the Steven Adams thing, but there's a chance that's actually not a great pairing. Okay, let's talk to Rip. He's one of my favorite characters on any television show in a long time, Rip Wheeler from Yellowstone. He's played by Cole Hauser, and we're finally going to do this. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean, and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit RoyalCaribbean.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? because they know that's code for are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. 
This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? I don't have soccer practices, whether my age or someone else's age. So I like to try to figure out how to maximize my time because I have more time than others. Whether it's going for a run, getting a workout in. My favorite thing, I love to read. And I love to go to my spot and try to veg out and not think about anything else that's going on in my life or my day other than that escape to just dive into a book and be outside. And I'm lucky that I get to do that. The best way to squeeze in that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Ryan. Cole, last champion comes out December 8th. Uh, taking a look at this, uh, you know, obviously I don't want to give a ton of this away, but coming back home, great history, and then a bad history where it seems like coming back home. What was it about the script that made you like it? I think it's all the colors, you know, and the character. I don't, you know, he's not one note, the guy. I mean, he he comes into the film, you know, kind of, you know, uh, at the ashes of life, you know, just broken, you know. And then throughout the picture, you get to see him, you know, find his confidence again, deal with his past, some of the demons that he has, addiction, you know, which I believe is a big one in this film. Um, but it also has faith, it has family, it has friendship, love. Um, and then ultimately, you know, redemption and, and being a great teacher and a great coach. So there was a lot of colors throughout John Wright that I that I responded to. Now, Glenn Withrow and Haley Todd, uh, who co-wrote this, far more extensive backgrounds as actors. What is it about being an actor where you can read that that writers are writing but have more of an acting background? I imagine that that's something that maybe you can pick up better than others just reading. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've known Glenn, you know, I've seen him in some stuff years and years ago. And Hallie, you know, they're just creative people. You know, I, I don't, you know, they took five years to write the script. You know, it took them a very long time. You know, Glenn was a wrestler uh, in Kentucky growing up. Uh, he knew a lot about that world. I didn't. Um, you know, I, I played football as a kid and, and basketball and soccer. So I, I never knew anybody who really wrestled. Um, except for a friend here and there, but, um, you know, they, they, uh, they're just, I mean, their collaboration is really where, where I care about, you know what I mean? Is when you meet somebody, whether you're an actor or director or writer, you know, is how collaborative are you? Um, are you, are you listening to what I'm saying and vice versa, you know? 
the sports background, like we can all read and, and check out the Wikipedia thing, but I think one of the first things for any of us that are normally on the sports side, like we can tell immediately and we're like, oh, that guy didn't play anything. So for you, like I saw some of the clips of the wrestling stuff. This does not seem foreign to you. So how did the athletic background play into this? I mean, it was good. I, I'll be honest, though. I, I rolled around with this kid from Washington State, you know, for about five minutes on the, on the floor. And, you know, this guy is, you know, he's a great wrestler, but he's not like the elite, you know, wrestler that I play in the movie. And these guys are in shape, man. I mean, you know, I, I was gassed. I'm not going to bullshit you. So, you know. Don't fight a wrestler. I mean, that's that's been a long rule for a lot of us. <laughs> if you see somebody who's got cauliflowered ears, walk the other way. Exactly. I... I was going to ask if Vision Quest, like if you had to watch that to get motivated, but maybe not because we did a we did a podcast about it and I was making fun of Modine's lap pull down form and he got so mad. He was like tweeting at me for weeks. So I don't know. I may have a problem with Modine if I see him. It's going to be it's going to be uncomfortable. My buddy, you know, he he's from Spokane, Washington. He used to wrestle and he's like, you should watch it. And I honestly I was in this house in Garfield that had had like no heat. You know, I had no television, you know, and I was like, I'm just going to sit here. I had a fireplace. I used to sleep by the fireplace when I was getting prepared for the movie. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I, had, I never had the chance to watch it. My favorite, you know, uh, you know, sports film is Everybody's All-American with Dennis Quaid. That's one of my favorites. So, um, and there's some similarities to, to uh, this movie and that. Yeah, Vision was I had never seen. So they asked me to like, hey, we got to do this thing. And then I watched it. And, you know, it's just tough. It's tough to go back and see some of these movies where you go, they thought this was a good idea where you've been lucky to be in some that I think hold up. I, you know, and I, I've got to imagine, and this may sound like a really stupid question from the outside of your world, but what are you 18 days and confused and right around that? I think you and I are the same age. So 17, 18, Google hunting at 22. What's that like when you decide at a very young age, you go, you know, I'm really going to pursue this and it starts working. That, that has to be, it could be as simple as too much too soon, but I don't even mean it that way. Like, what was it like to feel like, holy shit, this is actually working and I'm on, I'm in like big movies. Yeah, no, it's what started with school ties, you know, I mean, that, that yeah. was my break um, with Matt Damon, Ben, Brandon Frazier, Chris O'Donnell, Randall Batkoff. In fact, Randall's in this movie as well, but um yeah, I, at first it's like, holy shit, this is this is working. Like, I can't believe that I'm actually I'm doing what I want to do here, you know. And then it really becomes about picking and choosing and making sure that you're doing not only what you love to do, but you're telling stories that you care about. And I think for me, it's always been that way. Like, I there's certain shows that were offered to me, or I I could have done and made a lot of money, and I just it, you know if it didn't really excite me. And didn't get me up one and out of bed. Then I was just like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna find something that I do love. So, you know, my my career has been a little bit more of a slow burn, but you know what? Um, it's it's starting to happen now, which is what I wanted. I'm 45 years old, and and there's some great stuff that I'm I'm feeling like it's coming my way, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, it really does feel that way, and, and I don't know if it's just I didn't know about the sexiest man alive thing. I didn't prep for that. So I, that news was before all my prep, <laughs> I would have taken the interview entirely because I had questions. It's like, would you, if you're on the cover of people, do you go, did I, did I take myself off the market too soon? You know, had I known this, do I regret, you know, I mean, look, I'm sure you love your family and everything, but that's the kind of thing. A lot of guys would be like, you know, maybe I could have just held out a little bit longer. Who knows? I've been with the same woman for 25 years, man. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm not trying to get you into trouble here. So I, I'm, I'm just, but you're, I think what you said there is, is kind of like, hey, I feel like it's happening now. Did you feel like there were moments where it wasn't up to your standards considering some of the massive hits you were in immediately at a very young age? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Dazed, a lot of people don't know this, but, but Gramercy put Dazed out and then pulled it a week later. So, you know, Dazed was not supposed to be what it was, you know, and not not for Gramercy's money, at least. Um, it became a gold classic. School Ties was a middle of the road, I think a very good film, but didn't make a lot of money. Um, and then Goodwill, you know, I had a small part in it, um, but nobody knew that that was going to do what it was going to do. I mean, that, that, that film is, you know, it exceeded anything that anybody thought it would do. So, um, and then, you know, I did like Tears of the Sun and films, you know, that I thought would be bigger, Hearts War, um, but they weren't. So, you know, it's just... Look, everything happens for a reason in your career. That's my feeling. I, I know that when the time is right, you know, and, and, and it's all about timing and being in the right place at the right time and being prepared. And so, you know, that that's kind of how I feel right now. I feel like I got The Last Champion coming out. I got, you know, Yellowstone, which is, you know, off the charts. People love it. And then I'm doing Panama starting next week down here in Puerto Rico. So things are good, man. Things are real good. Yeah, Yellowstone, I love. I'm sure it's it's probably, you know, the thing you're going to be asked the most about this in, in the last champion buildup and all that. But I think there are some similarities with Taylor running the show. And for those that don't know Taylor Sheridan's background, he was on Sons of Anarchy. He was kind of a bit actor. He realized, hey, I got to start writing. And he starts pumping out some of my favorite movies in the last decade. And then the Yellowstone deal. So what was that Taylor connection like? Tell me the backstory of you even being in the mix, understanding, like, I don't know any of that. So give us the timeline of first learning about the project, connecting with Taylor and ultimately becoming Rip. Yeah, well, so I'll give you the full backstory. So the full backstory is this, you know, John Linson, who's the co-creator of the show, is one of my dear friends. So I've known him, my mom and his mother have known each other since, <laughs> I don't know, the 60s. So, um, you know, he came to me and he said, look, you know, there's your show and we just got Kevin Costner and, you know, take a look at it and see what you think. You know, I think you'd be great in this. And, I, and he didn't say any role or anything. So I looked at the script and I, I think initially my my team wanted me to 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 you know position myself to play one of his sons. And I just didn't see it. You know, I didn't think that there was a role that was right for me when it came to Jamie or Lee or uh or uh Casey. So the one that jumped off the page was Rip. And they were like, What are you doing? It's two two scenes in a pilot. I said, no, this, this character is going to have something, you know, something really good. I, I can just feel it. I know that Taylor loves the real cowboy way. I know that he believes that those kind of guys should be, you know, talked about. And then I think the chemistry with Kelly and I in, in the very first, you know, episode was there. Um, and he saw that. So that's kind of where it blossomed from. What's the best way to describe working with Taylor? I mean, we've become really close friends. You know, he's he's a he's a really intense guy. I mean, he's very focused. Um, he's not unlike me. <laughs> I think we kind of complement each other because we're both we both give a shit. You know what I mean? We care greatly about not only what we put out into the marketplace, but you know, to make sure that we're portraying, especially my character. You know, as as realistic as possible. So, you know, and uh, 
you know, he's one of those guys that works his ass off. And when it's over, he likes to have a nice drink and enjoy himself. So, you know. That's why you have the bunkhouse. So you guys could just do transfer right into there for real. Uh, you brought up a great point, though, about Rip. Because it's it's always... Like, they're the main characters, but I think sometimes the audience is like, oh, I like the tough guy. I mean, Rip is a cool character. You have made him a cool character. But there's also this great backstory that we learn more and more about. As an actor, how tough is it to, I don't know if it's reminding yourself, so take this wherever you want, where, okay, yes, I can play a tough guy and grunt and pull my jean jacket up and, and say cool lines and punch guys. But to give it more than just the cliche tough guy, how much of a challenge or reminder is it to you that you want to make sure that the character is more well-rounded? Yeah, I mean, I, that's always been my thing. You know, I, I, I never play anybody one note. That's just not the way, you know. And so for me, I think a lot of actors or, you know, um, I shouldn't say a lot of actors. I, th I think some people would look at Rip and go, he's a one-trick pony. You know what I mean? That's who he is. He's the heavy. He's the tough guy. If there's a problem. John calls on him. But Taylor did this wonderful thing, which which I saw very early on, is that he created a relationship with Beth, which helps open his soul up and his heart and who he is as a person. And then he did wonderful things with backstory and, and you know, allowed the audience to understand the hardship this kid came from. You know, the uneducatedness that he that he has, you know, but also the life, you know, smarts that he has and, and also nature and being able to run a ranch. I mean, he, he might not be able to read a book as well as most, but you come on a ranch and he he'll school you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like just different world, you know, for different people. And he's he's one of those guys that, you know, you want to be stuck in nature with him. Speaking of nature, I mean, this thing is shot. I mean, the, just the. Even if you didn't like this, like I love it. But even if somebody didn't like the story, the the, the shots are unbelievable. Um, all the different work that you must have to put into it, because I know a lot of it is in Utah. And I remember being in Park City and running into people and be like, yeah, those guys are around here. But then you still have to do some of the stuff for Bozeman and Montana. What's it like for you, just the physical part of it, but being outside this much on this kind of show? I mean, it's the greatest office in the world, man. I, I have no complaints. In fact, I tell Taylor all the time, don't you ever bring me inside. You know what I mean? To set me up, you know, let me let me be out riding fences, you know, fixing shit, you know, up in nature. And, and he he will never. I mean, that's 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 Rip's office. Um, it's it's an absolute. My, you know, my dad's family, they're all from Helena. And to do something in, in that state, I've always wanted to work there. I mean, that state has a piece of my heart. So um, it's just the perfect gig. Yeah, anybody that's ever spent any time up in Montana, they they get it. They get it. And I think it's it's kind of interesting to see people like I think real estate prices are up in Montana since the show, which is kind of funny because that's a big part of what the show's about. Yeah. It's like Beverly Hills prices right now. It's absurd. Uh all right. I'm gonna ask another kind of outsider thing. Whereas athletes would help each other and go, hey, you know, think about this move, an offensive lineman talking about how to protect. You guys can't do that as actors. Like you don't go up to Coster saying, I don't know if you're seeing that right, Kevin. Like, let me let me pull you over here, especially if it's Coster. But do you have that? Is there any element of that with actors when you're in scenes and trying to get stuff done? Absolutely. Listen, OK, four years with somebody, you know, like Kelly Riley or Luke Grimes. I don't work a lot with Wes, um, but even Kevin, you know, we're all there. We trust each other. You know, we're you know, we're a family, you know, it's, it's, you know, if there's something in, and Kevin does this, not a lot, but, but, you know, he's a director and he's a, he's an Academy award winning director. 
So you can swear. We're good. We're good. If, you know, just you don't have to cut yourself up. Okay, I got myself there. <laughs> I know. I I saw you kind of like half give us a half fuck. So I was like, no, we're good. We're good. Um, but he's a, he's a tremendous director. So you know, you, you'd be an idiot not to listen to him every once in a while and be like, hey, you know, if he's like, you know, the sun is perfect. Like, move over just a little bit there, Cole. Um, there you go. Stay right there. And I look behind me, and the sun's just like cresting you know, the Vista and I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. You know? So he's just somebody that I've always looked up to from afar. I've, I've had the great honor to work with him now for like four seasons. I mean, he's a great dude. He's just a great guy. And, you know, it, it's amazing when you work with somebody that you've watched for so long and you're like, ah, the guy still gives a shit too. You know, he really does. And it's just great to watch. But Kelly and I, we, we talk all the time. You know, she'll she'll say to me, "Hey, what do you what do you what do you think?" You know, and I'll I'll be like, "That was great." You know, I said, "You know, but take a moment in here and you know, and really let that digest." Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and so we communicate all the time, and you know, there a lot of the times, you know, not that there aren't great directors, you know, uh, on the show, but they won't say anything to you sometimes because they either think it's fine or or you know. Um, or they're moving, you know, quickly or whatever. So we depend on each other as actors, you know, to, to you know, to talk amongst ourselves, make sure that we're doing the best we can and, and that it's coming off, you know, organic and, and real. I don't want it to sound the wrong way, but it's almost the show early on, for me at least, it was a reminder of how good Costner is because you, you almost like needed another showcase of him and he just is understated. His character's terrific, so that's also the writing in that as well. But how he interacts with each and every other person, it's very different. So it shows all these different sides of him. I just think it's a kind of a reminder, like, hey, there's a reason why this guy was the biggest movie star in the world for a little while. Yeah, he's he's a great actor, but more importantly, he's he's a better person. And that's something that I always look at when I'm working with, you know, guys like him at, at his level is, you know, how do you treat people? You know, what, who are you really? And he... He's impressive that way. He he treats everybody the same. He's got a great, kind soul, man, and and he wants to see people successful. I mean, that's the the thing. I mean, when you talk about, you know, does he care, you know, about making sure that Rip comes off the best in the scene, or Kelly, or or Wes, or, or Luke, and and the, the answer is yes, he does. Whenever you're doing a show like this, I, I think there's always this this thought that, Hey, make sure you give the audience what they want every now and then. Like we're building these, these big season arcs and multi-season arcs and these things. But then when the bikers decided to just do their thing and party on the property, it was like, this isn't going to like, this is just good. Like ripping the guys are just going to go beat the shit out of a bunch of bikers. and They're going to have cool lines to say, do you guys get excited when you sit at a table read, you go through and be like, all right, maybe this doesn't mean anything. We're just going to beat up some bikers. So the audience is fired up. You know, there's always been biker cowboy brawls, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I was I was thinking to myself when when I read it first, I thought, oh shit, here we go. I want to be in some bar in Utah or Montana or Wyoming or whatever, and some biker gang is gonna be like, There's that son of a bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You're not a rip, you know what I mean? <laughs> it hasn't happened, and you know, oddly enough, I've run into some bikers and they're like we love that scene, skirt scene. So, um, you know, people love the show, and there's there's very little negativity when it comes to it. So that's it's kind of uh, surprising at times. I know that's almost impossible. You know what's funny? I find myself rewinding the Taylor scenes when he's in it 
because he's kind of this funny character. For those that don't understand, like when they start doing when um, there's there's a character, I think he's got to dip in. You know, he's kind of jacked. He's up on the horse. He's got his hat on and he's kind of the horse salesman to Kevin Costner's character. And everybody's kind of sitting around and there. I love that Taylor kind of forces in a lot of this this horse trading stuff that I don't think anybody, if you ever pitch that, be like, oh, and then we're going to have some elements where we show the business side of moving horses around. People be like, no, you're not. Just more fights and don't do it. I love those scenes because it's so real. And Taylor does a good job of kind of, he kind of comes off as a bit as a shithead as this horse dealer and he nails it. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I mean, his favorite thing to do in the world is buy and sell horses. That's that's who he is. That that character, Travis, is you know he's Rip's only friend. <laughs> <laughs> that I have a friend who's just a fucking horse trader. You know what I mean? Who's <laughs> just a kind of a scumbag. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's trying to rip everybody off the whole time, and he and Taylor like nails it. I mean, granted, if that's who he is, maybe it's not a huge departure. But the poor guy was acting like I'm not that great of an actor. He's not ripping people off in real life, but he's definitely that guy where he's like, it's a little bit of a, like, you know, a worm, you know what I mean? You're like, you're a little slippery, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, when you said a little bit earlier, like you feel like it's, it's happening now. I mean, I don't know you. I can read about you. I watch a bunch of different interviews. Like there's this, this gear that you have to have in your, your business to be driven all of the time, to be just relentless about it um do you do you feel like that's that's led to this or do you think you've been more content at times not having to be as as driven as other people for 25 i mean really this is going on 20 27 almost 30 years for you yeah no i'm as driven as i was when i was 15 years old as i am now maybe more you know i i can see the finish line a little bit better i did when i was 15 um so and, uh, you know, again, you know, I said this earlier, a lot of this has come down to timing, you know, and being in the right place at the right time. It sounds kind of hokey and like, you know, the old cliche, but it's, when it comes to this business, you can be laying down the greatest work in the world, but if people aren't seeing it, you know, um, for example, you know, I did Rogue for almost four years. Um, it's a great show written by Matthew Parkin on DirecTV. I mean, people saw it, don't get me wrong, but being on Yellowstone is just a whole nother level of the audience. You know, 10 million, 12 million people are watching a week. Um, and that, that starts to change things. So I'm not unaware of that. And, you know, this is, this is a great time for me to be able to go on and, and take some risks and doing stuff like The Last Champion, Panama. Um, and then, you know, we'll see from, from there where, where we'll be. But I mean, if, if the last champion comes out and does great numbers, I mean, I'm, I'm going to work with Glenn again and Hallie and we're going to, we'll write something else. That's, you know, a wonderful story. So that, you know, it's, um, it's a good time, man. I'm excited about it. I'm really excited. I didn't think it was going to end up this, this way. I, I started the year going, this is a fucked up year. There's no way that we're even going to shoot Yellowstone, you know, let alone do anything else. Now here we are. Last Champs coming out in December, which is a great time. You got holidays right there. It's PG-13. You know, the family can watch it. I think it deals with a lot of stuff that's, that's going on in this country right now and about people coming together versus dividing. Um, so, um, again, comes down to timing, and I think this is a great time. So, yeah, December 8th, Last Champion. So, 
when you think about the traditional way of being able to judge how you're successful, have you understood enough about it? I mean, look, I'm sure the money people and everybody, all those parts of it have an idea, but how is it scary? I mean, what's the best way to describe going, you know, normally we could just kind of figure out, all right, first weekend was great. Here are our projections. And now it's a whole new world trying to figure out like what actually is working and what isn't. I mean, streaming is a whole different operation. I mean, I, you know, I've obviously been in the film business for a long time. It's pretty easy to go to, you know, office mojo and, and, and look at what the actual movie is doing and how successful or unsuccessful educated, just like everybody else on it. But I think right now, I know right now, that's the only way that we can get content into the living rooms of Americans and all over the world. So this is what it's become. I don't think it's going to change for a while. Unfortunately, I love going to the theaters. You know, I grew up doing that uh, with my family. So it's a bummer, but, uh, you know, let's get this shit under control and then uh, let's get the theaters moving again, you know, and then have that for our kids to, to grow up and have like we did. When I told my friends, because we're all from Massachusetts, um, that I was going to be talking with you this week, they were like, are you going to ask him about Goodwill Hunting? And I said, well, I, I don't think it's a rule that I have to keep asking people about Goodwill Hunting just because I'm from Massachusetts. They're like, dude, you got to ask him about something. And I was like, I don't, I don't really know. And they're like, ask him about the good car, like Billy, Billy's line. It's a good car. It's a good car. And I was like, yeah, but there's no question there, you fucking idiots. Like, there's, there's no question. <laughs> like... Like, so I, I guess I'm just asking you to appease everyone that has these expectations. I was supposed to ask you some great question about, did you know how big of a deal that was when you're around Ben and you're around Matt and you're like, these guys wrote this thing. Like you said, you didn't think it'd be a huge hit, but the writing in it is incredible. But it just, for you guys to be hanging out, trying to get through those accents, I'm just asking you to tell me a Goodwill hunting story here, Cole. So I'm sorry. Yes. I mean, and this is the, this is the truth is that, you know, those guys grew up making fun of Southies. You know, exactly. They're from Cambridge. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not from South Boston. So they used to grow up. They were they grew up, you know, taking the shit out of, you know, the fucking South Boston, you know, and like that whole thing. And like, you know, and fucking around doing that. And when I came from California, they had already like been there to, together for like two weeks. They had the de- they actually flawless. I was like, oh, shit. You know, I'm going to have to learn this accent really quick. So the bar scene in the very beginning of the movie, I gave my lines to, uh, to, to Casey because I was like, you know, there's always a drunk dude who's just passed out at the fucking bar. Like I just, I'm going to give Casey my lines and he, you know, he had that accent down packed. So I was like, let him do it. And I can ease into, you know, my performance. Um, Cause he doesn't talk a lot, Billy, you know what I mean? He's just not that guy. And, you know, I actually enjoyed, you know, like fucking motor mouse you know no um but yeah it took a minute to, to get the accent down and get comfortable with it and then you know it always helps when you drink a few beers <laughs> well you, the rave reviews from the guys in the 617 at least on that line where it wasn't you weren't you didn't even think it was a good car that's what's great about that character the car's a piece of shit but you're just one of his boys and you're just like hey you know it's going to get you from point A to point B. It's what you sold. And you didn't say that, which is exactly what you were saying. It's perfect. All right. The last champion, December 8th, Cole Hauser. Uh, I'm really happy for you, man. We all enjoy as Yellowstone fans and then to see all the other stuff. And I was researching Panama as well. As you said, you were down there filming it. Um, that looks like it's going to be awesome. So enjoy. Stay healthy with that. And hopefully we can connect again. All right. Oh, man, thanks a lot for there again. Take care.
I want to get to some of the college football ranking reaction. Uh, I guess it's just my reaction, so we'll get to that in just a moment. But add a little excitement to your sports watching experience by betting on all the action at FanDuel Sportsbook this football season. There's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Their app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and exclusive always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And if you win, they're even going to get you your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. That's the big win in all this. Right now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. Seriously, there's no strings attached. Just place any bet you want. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get your entire bet up to $1,000 back in site credit. Okay, so it feels a little sucker bettish, but I'm going with the Ohio State malaise of all the stuff that they're going through. They're playing a Michigan State team that has been at times absolutely awful this year. The fact that they beat Northwestern last week is incredible. Shout out Mel Tucker, who I've just been super impressed with now for years. But um, I'm going to go with Ohio State. It opened at minus 24. It's still hovering around 23 and a half, 24. If Ohio State is the team that I know that branding has kind of brainwashed us into believing. And I'm including myself in that group, by the way, because we're going to get to these rankings, as I said here in a moment. I'd say go ahead and and just throw some on Ohio State. It's a huge number to lay there. But I cannot express this enough. When Michigan State has been bad this year, they've been awful. Okay, that's the pick. All right, moving on. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Must be 21 or older, present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Redline, 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or visit www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia. Okay, let's talk rankings. I do love talking about these, but I also think that never getting too freaked out about it, unless there's just alarming, alarming stuff happening. Most of the angst is always the anti-SEC thing, because right now you have three of the top six teams from the SEC, Bama, A&M, and Florida. I'd ask, what what else do you want? What else do you want this to be? Let's start with Ohio State. Okay, Ohio State has a problem. They played four games, and as Kirk Herbstreet brought up in the ranking show, which turned into a thing, um, where Kirk Herbstreet is basically like, look, there's talk about how some of these teams, maybe even in Ohio State's case, uh, you know, they're the hinting at the idea that Michigan, to mess with their rival, would say, hey, we have a COVID breakout. So therefore, Ohio State, if they play the Michigan State game this weekend, would only have five games, um, which with the Big Ten rules, you had to have six games played to play in the Big Ten championship, right, to represent the Big Ten. Um, a couple things here. One, layoff of Kirk Herbstreit, okay? I've known the guy a really long time, and what he was doing is because he is so plugged in, he's sharing conversations that are out there with us, the audience, as a topic. He wasn't reporting. He's not a reporter. It's a show, and he is as plugged in as anybody, and he is bringing that up as a scenario later on. Now, I know the first thing is, oh, wait, he's a Buckeye. He's calling out Michigan. That's why he's doing it. 
I would rarely say this about any former player, but when it comes to the bias, I mean, Kirk, I think, actually goes out of his way to be so neutral towards Ohio State that it makes him seem like he's anti-Ohio State. Okay? He just is. Um, I, I, I can only tell you, like, I've spent so much time on the road with him. If he ever talked the way he, he could talk about programs and coaches and all this stuff like it would be unbelievable but he's a multi multi decade long guy who's going to be attached to college football forever so he's only going to go so far with it but him sharing that was like hey man this is some of the stuff this is some of the stuff that's happening and then he has to go on twitter and apologize to it because other reporters were like what's he doing like, give me a fucking break i remember being i've told the story before i was wedding in chicago a bunch of ohio state guys there and they cornered me and they're just like herb street sucks man he's not a real you know, buckeye i was like all right terrell Pryor, i got it but like his job isn't to go up there and start screaming ohio while somebody else on the set is breaking down a, a mississippi state game okay that that's not the job so he was just sharing information kind of like how we do on this podcast sometimes even though we're not really reporters and sometimes it's like a great insight sharing it with you and then other times it gets turned into something that it isn't and that's what happened here with herb street so that's the ohio state problem is if they don't get to the six game. Here's what I would do if I'm the Big Ten, and I don't care. Um, I would just say, yeah, whatever. We had that rule before, and now we're not going to have it. So if Ohio State's 5-0, and and they're going to play in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, that's what we're going to go ahead and do because we don't want to eliminate our own conference potentially from playing in the playoff because Ohio State is n- sitting there at number four in the committee rankings. And yeah, whatever. We had a rule, and now we're going to change it because it's a weird rule anyway that we came up with a couple months ago in an unprecedented time. So that's what we're going to go ahead and do. And if you want to say it's because we're doing it about money, yes, yes is the answer. We're doing it to make sure we can still get a slice of that playoff money. I would have no problem with them doing that. And I'm saying that about a fan base that I would put in probably the five worst fan bases in North America, which, of course, we've now had to expand the worst fan base rankings to North America after Toronto's amazing showing this summer, where they will forever be my number one seed. So if that's the Ohio State slash Big Ten problem and looking at a potential elimination of the conference, let's just do uh, let's do the two others. And that's the Pac-12 where the rankings (laughs) stands now. I mean, they're out. They're just out. I, I don't see any way this changes. I try not to rule out anything, but Iowa, or excuse me, Iowa, it's 19. They're ahead of every Pac-12 school, so that's why I'm bringing that up. USC, 20. Washington, 22. Shout out to the Huskies and their 21-0 comeback against Utah last Saturday. Nobody saw it. And then Oregon sitting there with their loss now, dropping eight spots to 23. Washington's going to play at Oregon December 12th to decide the North. And then I guess they're going to get USC on the other side of it. I mean, maybe USC's figured some things out and Utah have had a week off. We'll see how the rest of it goes. Nobody's excited about it out here. So the Pac-12 is out. The Big 12 has Iowa State at nine, their highest team in the rankings, but it's a two-loss team. Remember, they started the season losing to Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, which we didn't realize is their 8-1 now in the Sun Belt. So it's not a bad loss, although they beat them. Um, and then Iowa State did win against Oklahoma in the beginning of the season, a couple weeks in, when they play in the rematch, if that's what it is, in the Big 12 championship game with the way the standings work, those are two lost teams. So the Big 12 is going to have a two-loss champion. I mean, Iowa State, if they beat Oklahoma a second time, and I would pick the Sooners this time around again because of Rattler's improvement and some of the other people being back from some of the problems they had at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, look, Iowa State's not getting in. Oklahoma's not getting in. They're not getting in as two-loss champs here with all these other teams in front of them. So that's three conferences potentially eliminated already. Notre Dame screws up the whole thing for everybody. If Clemson wins a close rematch, Notre Dame-Clemson are in, and then it's Alabama, who, despite 
you know, the concerns about who Alabama is, that's the number one scoring defense in the SEC right now. So, you know, for all the, the defensive concerns for some of these schools, and then you go, oh, wait, somebody still has to be ranked number one defensively in some of these schools. And if you go yards allowed per play, Bama is in the 20s. You know, Clemson's in the teens. Notre Dame is pretty good in that, too. I think I remember looking at it this morning. UConn is actually number one in yards allowed per play by the opponent. Um, and that's that's uh, zero because they didn't play. But I thought that was kind of funny to see UConn at the top of the sorting rankings there. So there you go. I mean, I guess the biggest angst is Georgia at eight. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you can sit there and say that means the committee's stupid and the whole thing is suspect. What are you supposed to do right now with these top four? Now, do you want to put A&M or Florida ahead of Ohio State? Here's, here's where I'll admit to some of the same problems that we all have with some of these teams. If you went, hey, this team beat Nebraska 52-17, and Nebraska's not good. Um, they beat Penn State 38-25, and Penn State's 1-5. And, and Nebraska's 1-4. Penn State's 1-5. They beat Rutgers, who's 2-4, and, and that's like a nice little Rutgers story. Um, Maryland game canceled. They beat Indiana 42-35. Nice win against a, a ranked team in Indiana, who was ninth at the time. But I think that Ohio State was was very much in control of that game until they kind of just let Indiana make it look good again in theirs toward the end. Illinois games canceled. Here, If I explain that resume to anybody and be like, hey, they're going to be in the playoff, you go, absolutely not. And if that were Northwestern, I don't even know if it were Wisconsin. without Wisconsin had a lot of preseason hype. I'm just trying to think of the non-brand school. If that was Old Miss, would you sit there and go, hey, they're fourth? No, because it's the carryover. It's human. You cannot escape it, the carryover of that we think Ohio State is that good. And I still kind of do, but when I say that part of it out loud, I go, wait, I'm arguing for this team to be a lock to be in the playoff? What the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> okay, fine. We'll move them out. Are you excited about A&M in Florida? Because if Florida were to win a close SEC title game and Ohio State's out and say Clemson lost a second time to Notre Dame, <laughs> I mean, it could be Bama, Notre Dame, Florida, and, and A&M. Or it would be Bama, Notre Dame, A&M, Florida. Like, it could happen. And I know that just pissed off everybody outside of that bottom right section of the country. Now it's time for the State Farm Surprisingly Great segment of the week, getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like Terry McLaurin lighting up the NFL his first two years in the league. And this is an important, important segment, so you need to listen to this part of it. Terry McLaurin, just a quick reminder, third round wide receiver out of Ohio State, playing for the Washington football team. And we don't really talk about the Washington football team much because they've had a bunch of different quarterbacks. But McLaurin has been a star for this team, despite really not a lot of help. Let's examine it all. Last year, 58 catches, 919 yards, seven touchdowns. This year, in only 11 games, 63 catches, 963 yards, three touchdowns. But think about some of the quarterbacks that he's been getting balls from. Alex Smith, okay, Haskins, what happened to that guy? Kyle Allen, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, although obviously McCoy is the best of the group. Um, the more surprising thing is what do you what do you say about the people around him again it's not to knock the other players but it's not like McLaurin is running down the field and having an all pro receiver at the other side of him uh this isn't like they have the best tight ends in the game it's not like they have all these other elements like he's putting up these numbers it actually kind of reminds me of Josh Gordon and some of those weird Browns years where he would have massive numbers and you couldn't believe he was playing quarterback this year the number one 
receivers. McLaurin, the number two and three guys in receiving yards are a running back and tight end. The next highest receiver has 245 yards. Last year, he led the team again in receiving yards. The number two in receiving yards was a different running back, Chris Thompson. And then the next receiver, like we're talking about 100, 200 yards. He is the only receiver that consistently is producing and again, doing it with these quarterbacks. So this is remarkable that he's this automatic every single week without the greatest supporting cast. Terry McLaurin providing service to your fantasy team, perhaps. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our surprisingly great player from last week was... Terry McLaurin. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Thank you. And by the way, thank you. Uh, Keep screen grabbing away and letting us know how much you've enjoyed the podcast. And again, it's going to close the year as the number three podcast in sports. So who knows what 2021 is going to be all about. I'm pretty excited for if things continue into 2021, they're probably going to overlap a little for the Twitter jokes where it's like, oh my gosh, can we just, this is so 2021. And I go, okay, we're going to do this for another year. Uh, but no, it does mean a lot. It means a lot that uh, you guys have enjoyed it so much. And I, I definitely think this segment, I, it surprised me how much you guys have liked this. So we're just going to keep doing it until I, I run out of, or maybe I, you know, I'll probably just get to a point where I go, okay, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do it anymore. Okay. Uh, this one is, um, this is an interesting one because it's actually, I don't know if I would have read it normally, but Kyle, you picked up on something here. So, hey, Ryan, I'm the guy who ran into you and Big Cat. He actually misspelled Big Cat, which is hard to do. Um, at the boardwalk and had Big Cat take a picture of us. Let me just put it this way. Uh, I like Big Cat a lot. He's become a, a just a good friend. And I think he's a really talented guy. Um, and he loves nothing more. Nothing makes him more erect than when somebody recognizes him and doesn't recognize me. He thinks it's the coolest thing in the world. So I do remember this because I just was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Like have take a picture. And then I had to be like, Hey, cause then anytime somebody would be around us and would say, Hey, big cat, big cat. And then he'd go, do you guys know Ryan Rosillo? Do you know, do you know who Ryan Rosillo is? Have you ever heard of him up and comer <laughs> up and comer? And he gets, he gets a little excited about it. Cause I think it's like kind of a guy who listened to another guy for 10 years. And now he's thinking like, all right, I'm beating this guy. So now I get to kind of make fun of him, but you know, he's, he's a little young for, for me to be made fun of by. But I'll just I'll just put it this. I loved when this happened because it was like, am I supposed to be super annoying about this right now? So I do. I think I remember this. It happens so often. It's hard for me to really remember. Okay. All right. Here we go. Our guy, the stats, 30 years old, bench over 400 pounds, deep six figure salary. Usually the higher the bench, the lower the salary, you know? So congrats to you. Objectively attractive. (laughs) <laughs> the situation i've been hanging out with a girl for over a year now but even more frequently during the pandemic no, no kidding i truly believe she's the best person i've ever met as far as being compassionate caring open-minded and very considerate she would cry about injustices that happen to others uh we have amazing chemistry 
However, while I'm attracted to her as a person, she's not all that physically attractive. Sometimes I feel like I don't work this hard to be with an unattractive girlfriend. I didn't. Okay. Sometimes I feel like I didn't work this hard to be with an unattractive girlfriend. Um, ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Remember Moneyball. Remember that part from Moneyball, the lesson there? If, if the prospect had a good looking girlfriend, remember Kevin Sumlin got himself into trouble where he said, if I have recruiters that have, I want my recruiters to have attractive wives because then that means they have confidence and they can close the deal and all that kind of stuff. And then it turned into a, a whole uh, discussion about gender, which was awesome to talk about for a couple of days. Uh, all right. So our man says, I know that's immature in some ways, but I also don't want to explain to friends and family. You just don't get it. She's uh, she is a great person. What should I do? Cut ties with the best person I know and wait for someone more attractive or acknowledge it 20 years from now. Physical attractiveness will not matter. Thanks. Uh, right. Well, look, um, some people will listen to this and be like, oh my gosh, what a jerk. I'm not going to do that because you're just being very honest about the way there's a lot of guys that feel this way. And there's a lot of women that feel this way too. This is, you know, maybe women, I do think women are more mature and better at, at finding reasons to connect. Like I've mentioned this before, but I don't know what's, what's worse. Us spending time with somebody we have zero connection with only because they look good standing next to us. And it makes you feel better about yourself. You know, whether it's the card, I mean, I know that's where the trophy wife thing comes from and I'm not trying to make this, um, desensitize it all talk about possession all that kind of stuff but let's face it like anybody that's been lucky enough to date a head turner of a girl it you can be obsessed with it validating your self-worth or you could just acknowledge like yeah man like i'm i'm with the girl that everybody in this place is looking at right now and i have some weird sense of pride for that i don't i don't think that that's a a horrible thing at the at the extremes where I think the other extreme is that, yeah, like if that's all that you're basing yourself worth on is that hopefully you have a girl that other guys are checking out, like you probably would want to have a little bit more depth of this person um, than just that. So I get that. But then, as I've said before, like, is that worse than a woman who is gorgeous, who is young, who dates like an old gross dude, a guy you take like a couple sinks and stand away from at the gym? And just because he's loaded, <laughs> she's hanging out with him, you know? So I, I don't know. I'm not, it's not even judgment. It's just, I've, I'll never come up with an answer. Like what's actually worse than that? Because men would probably say, oh, that's way worse what women do. And women are going to say, oh, it's way worse what you guys do because there's zero connection there and be like, okay, cool. What are you guys talking about? He's 78. Um, the chances are you probably are going to, if this is how you feel already, and you've mentioned that the pandemic has ramped up the amount of time that you spent with this person, like you're probably going to just move on. Um, it's really up to you. It's up to you. Now, you're probably also going to regret it later on. If you have all of these amazing connections with her, that's great. And maybe the most mature of us can sit there and say, hey, I'm really going to focus on the things that are going to matter. And this connection is the most important thing. And it is a great feeling to have like a connection where it's like, I can't wait to hang out with this person and not just because I'm so physically attracted to them. Like, I can't wait. I can't wait. I wonder what they think about this. Hey, I'm going to shoot it. Like that moment where you're sitting there and there's nothing going on and the dumbest thing happens on a TV screen or something dumb happens across your phone. And you're like, I can't wait to text this person about this. It's an awesome feeling. And if that's what you have right now, that's not the easiest thing to replace. But I'm just going to guess that at 30 years old, I already know what you're going to do here. You're going to break up with her, I'd imagine. And 
you know, just be prepared for having those moments with the people that you are pursuing that are uh, to you more attractive and the physical part of it that's, you know, important to younger guys. It just is, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it isn't, I'm not going to deny it. Let's be, we always try to be honest here in this part of it, but I don't think you're evil. I don't think you're evil for feeling these things. I think it's actually cool that you're admitting it. And because you're admitting it, because you're aware of it, you're probably going to move on at some point, but just be ready. Um, when you, there'll be a moment where it doesn't work out with some of these other girls that'll, and you're going to go, damn it. I missed that connection. Um, because I, you know, anybody that is in a relationship that's that I'm friends with or something, or, you know, most of them are married by now, but when they would start to say like, Hey, this is somebody who I think could be a great mother to my children, or this is somebody who could be a great father, all these different things. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, who brought my dad? Um, but it, that that's the real sign of maturity when you can start looking at your life and what kind of life you want to have. Kyle, did that blow your mind there a little bit? How did you feel? I think that was good. I think um, like 95% of people that you would try to spend a ton of time with would drive you crazy somehow. So if if she doesn't actually, if she really doesn't drive you crazy in any ways, then I think uh, it might be worth sticking around. I don't know. I know what you're saying. It's uh, that's a tough one. It is. I just, I don't, well, it's not I don't that love people. Rare. And uh, I don't know. It's just if, she, if you're like, yeah, this girl definitely is awesome and is a good person and I trust her and she doesn't drive me crazy. That's fucking tough. It's not really cool of the girl either because you, I can already tell like, all right, so you work out a lot. And so that means you're like looking at girls back when the gym was open, but you're looking at girls at the gym all the time. And you're wondering, hey, would she go out with me? And so like this person that's in love with you and cares about you, all you're doing is walking around thinking about upgrading. Like do her a favor and end it. You know, we're like, well, how would you feel if the girl that you were with was like, hey, he's friendly and we laugh all the time, but he's he's getting a little soft around the midsection and he's losing his hair. And every time I go to the gym, I fantasize about all these other trainers. And if one of them pays any attention to me whatsoever, I'm going to dump this guy. (laughs) You wouldn't like that, would you? Ouch. So, I mean, that's what you're doing to her. Okay. This one, this email, Kyle, good pick. Uh, This is going to bum some people out. This one's almost borderline serious. And I don't, I don't like this guy. So I'm sorry you listen to the podcast, but I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I don't like you. Okay, uh, I've been thinking about writing this email for quite some time, but it's a complex situation, hard to explain. I'm 26, uh, always been quite difficult for me to stay consistent with my life, college work, commitment to getting in shape, friends, romantic partners, can't complain too much. Truth is, despite terrible mistakes that I regret profoundly, I somehow always find my way back and get my life together. Part of the problem is that I'm intelligent, smart, and not afraid of taking risks. So a lot of the time I just go for things without giving them too much thought. But I am now at a time in my life in which I need consistency. The lifestyle of ups and downs, constantly worrying about things and fixing up my mistakes has reached a point where I'm starting to feel the mental toll of it with huge amounts of anxiety. Okay, well, that part is good because none of the change happens until you finally get to that point where you're like, you know what, whatever I'm doing now, like I think it's very common for all of us to go, I don't like this. I need to be in better shape. And then there's an entire stretch of building up to mentally going, okay, I've had it. Like I'm going to do something about this. And I think a lot of times people go, all right. I'm sick of this, but now I've just sort of accepted it. it can happen professionally. It can happen your partners. I mean, all of all of these things you could say, okay, I've absolutely had it. Now I actually need that change. And so that part of it, I completely understand. Nothing unique about that. All right. Also want to mention, I'm quite introverted. I have a group of friends. I don't see them very often, mostly interact in group chats. I never really craved a strong social life. Always been more of a stay-at-home guy. But recently, maybe because of the pandemic, I've been having crazy cravings for more social interaction. So you weren't super social to begin with sort of a homebody, but now that you have none of it, you kind of want more. All right, welcome. Join the club. 
Now here's where the real deal starts. My dating life. I somehow went from an introverted high school kid with zero appeal to girls and zero confidence to approach them to somebody who worked himself in a more confident posture with women. I also worked on myself in years, really turned me into a reasonably good looking guy. But this is to say I have trouble focusing on just one girl at a time. Um, I can be quite controlling and dating is like a game to me. I enjoy playing it, flirting, seducing, having sex. It's addicting. I've dated two girls at the same time and it makes me sick to my stomach to admit it, but I simply liked the two of them. Um, and it didn't turn out great. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. Yes, I actually care about two girls at the same time. I mean, 12, you know, what, what do you, you know, what's your deal? Where are you from? Are you hanging out in Dubai? You know what I'm saying? All right. So you like two girls at the same time. Um, there's, trust me, there's, there's probably a girl that liked you and another guy at the same time. Another peculiar thing that happens frequently is as soon as I feel like I have a girl in my hand and she trusts me, I lose interest. The more challenging it is for me, the best, um, that's what gets me going. Of course, I don't do this consciously and it's a great source of anxiety for me. All caps or excuse me, bold here. The last meaningful girl I've dated has been particularly hard for me. I met last year. I genuinely like her despite knowing our differences, how difficult it is for, for us to be good long-term. When I met her, I thought I had found the love of my life and she was, um, well, he's saying the best sex of his life, almost like a spiritual connection. Never felt anything like that since we've been very off and on, always very intense and emotional. We've broken up several times and I managed to get her back two times. A lot of this was uh, me going through my anxiety and focusing more on my career, which compelled me to pull away from her. Okay, but here's the problem. Was the back and forth because of your anxiety of focusing on your career, which you pulled or what you just admitted in the previous fucking paragraph where you said this is all a game and that's fine. I have friends like that. I can understand the part of, hey, the new part and the new text comes and it's the new person and this is exciting and, and it's because it's new. It's just we love new. We, we love new in every single part of our lives. All right. That's why marketing and advertising works. We can't help. We want new things, but we also do it with people. OK, so you're saying that it didn't work out because you had anxiety about your career when you just admitted previously this whole thing is a big game. The chase, the chase, the chase. And I'm not this is not specific. to you. There's a lot of guys like this. OK, I'll admit when I was younger, I had a little of this in me, too. It was the chase. It was the chase. It was the chase. It was the chase. And then I remember, dude, when I was bartending, I would almost feel bad when somebody did like me. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, you don't I even know. T- <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, why don't you like her? I'd be like, she is. She's into me. Oh, my God. What's wrong with her? I'd be like, wait, do you know how fucked up? That? I was like, yeah, I actually am like less attracted to you once you like me. Um, that was a long, long time ago. So. All right. So. I don't really buy what you're selling here sentences later when you're saying that you're you're on again, off again thing. Maybe that was part of it. But I think the fundamental part of this is that you keep breaking up with her despite this spiritual connection that you've talked about. You've never had with anybody else, but you're cool going on again, off again. I don't know what's in your background. That could be that I'll share this part. Having parents that are on again, off again for my entire life. Definitely made me when I was younger, if I would break up with somebody, I'd be like, well, aren't we just going to get back together now? It was insanely dumb. And they'd be like, no, it's over. Like, it's over, over. Like, we're never getting back together. I'd be like, wait a minute, what? And that was something that I had to figure out a little bit later on. Like, as soon as I would break up with somebody, I'd be like, well, whatever, we'll just get back together. It's not that big of a deal. I was like, no, actually, most people, when they make that decision, yes, I mean, dating or whatever, but it isn't normal to be on again, off again. And it actually, it's super stressful and it's annoying and I don't know. Your friends have been getting sick of you the whole time. Okay. So you've talked about the f- fact that you like this person, this connection you're controlling, but the back and forth on again, off again. All right, fine. So last week we had a tough conversation. She rightfully told me she couldn't trust me and wanted to move on for good. 
doesn't sound like you can be trusted. Okay. And that she does finally go, you know, despite the connection, she probably feels just as much with you. She's like, this is a waste of my time, but you've accepted the on again, off again thing is normalcy. And she's deciding this isn't normal and I don't want to do it. So now I bet you're super freaked out about it. All right. She said she wants to give it a try with other guys, try to find someone to date long term. I was understanding in my words, but all caps, I am absolutely burning inside. She mentioned a boy she started talking to. Of course, I told her I was hurt, but wished her luck and hoped that the guy didn't hurt her emotionally the way I did, which you didn't mean any of that. You just were like, who is this fucking guy? All right. She's like, the fucked up part starts. Oh, the fucked up part starts now. Okay. I don't know if you watched you. Oh, shit. The Netflix show, but I'm just like Joe, the main character. Oh, awesome comparison. I have no urges to hurt anybody. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that part out of the way. Uh, But now I have an uncontrollable thing inside me that wants to get my girl back, almost like a game, an unhealthy one. The new guy is just another obstacle I have to go through, but I feel like I will. Last week, I bought a GPS tracker and plan to install it on her vehicle. I want to make sure I know the guy is and cross paths with her while she's on dates and stuff like that. I've also adjusted my social media behavior so she thinks I'm seeing other girls, which I am, but I'm typically discreet. So you're being less discreet on purpose, hoping that she sees it, which is the oldest game in the book, immediately getting tagged and stuff so that people can see that the new girl is tagging a guy so that the old guy sees that there's a tag and you're just like, all right, whatever, cool, got it. Um, I wish I didn't have these urges. Hey, none of us wish you had these urges. Uh, and let any names the girl here. We're not going to use the name. I wish I could let poor fill in the blank go on with her life. I think she deserves it. She uh, doesn't deserve more drama with me. Another important thing about is I feel professionally. I finally found something I like to do money wise. I'm going better and better. I'm getting better and better by the day. And part of me thinks and wants to build off of this new consistency in my life and translate it into a better romantic relationship. So I really feel like I can be someone different, more present and uh, dedicate fully to her. I really miss her and being with her. I want her back exclamation thank you for going through the email okay um okay i could get really mad and yell but you need to see somebody and you need to see somebody who's far more uh qualified than i am but there's a bunch of alarming things in here where you say like a girl in hand um i I think a lot of this isn't real for you the emotional connection spiritual thing the sex part yep okay you liked it so that's why you have this thing but it wasn't enough for you to just grow up and that part I can understand, not grow up and just be like, hey, this is the person you care about. You have this feeling. Don't let anybody else get in the way of it. But now you're more, you want her back. Here's always a problem with younger people. You want her back, not because of her. You want her back because you can't stand her to be with somebody else. And the GPS thing is so fucking lame, man. Don't be one of those guys. Don't be one of those guys that's doing this. You want to look at her Instagram videos? Fine. You want to have a burner account that gets to look at her Instagram videos so she doesn't know you're obsessing and watching her videos? Go ahead and do that. But to do the GPS thing, the first thing you need to do is go talk to somebody who, again, understands this. And you need to admit to yourself that you have some really fucked up views on relationships if you think that any of this is a good idea. This is a complete waste of your time. It's a complete invasion of her privacy. You don't care about her. If you really cared about her, you wouldn't put a GPS tracker on a car. But you have some tendencies here, which you know I don't want to, again, label and get super mad like I could and be predictable about it. But I I kind of think you're a bad guy. So I like the thank you for listening to the podcast. But um, you need to talk to somebody and work through some of this stuff because 
you you have some language here and the caps and the bold and the just some of the words that you use. I don't know that you're being like you were honest in the email to a point, but I don't think you're identifying like you are not normal the way you see relationships. A lot of people have relationship problems and all that kind of different stuff. You are absolutely about being in control, about possessing the girl more so than you are about sharing a life with somebody. So focus on the career stuff and start finding some people online that can help you because this is alarming. Okay, we have a great week next week. Um, we already have it almost booked out, so a lot of good football stuff. Um, but then Friday, we're still trying to work out here a little bit, so we can't tease ahead. I hope you guys like Cole Hauser, and uh, we'll hopefully see you guys. Keep subscribing, rate, and reviewing. It's just been great to see everybody, uh, again, talk about how much they've enjoyed the podcast. So, you know, I know I just want to make sure you guys understand how much I appreciate it because I'm seeing it a lot with the Spotify stuff at the end of the year. What did you listen to and all that? So it's just kind of cool to see all that kind of stuff. So, again, thanks. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.